Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Autism Stories. I'm your host, Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience, and Autism Stories is where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their advice. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review, as it will help others to learn about autism stories. Something that I do consciously and probably unconsciously is think about just about how every aspect of our lives are affected by the autistic experience. That's why I'm thrilled to talk with Amanda Herbert Hughes on this episode of Autism Stories about her artwork and how she specifically creates art that caters to neurodivergent minds, as well as being an author and illustrator for a children's book. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Amanda, thanks so much for joining me today. I wanted to start out and learn uh, where does your story in the autistic community begin? Yeah, so that's a, a really good question. I'm a late diagnosis for autism and got my diagnosis when I was 34. I'm, I'm going to be 38 in September. I discovered it first, actually, before I got, I don't know what you want to call it, I don't want to call it affirmation from doctors because, you know, I don't really know that that's necessary. <laughs> but I found out the way a lot of people and women actually have found out, I learned, is that our son is autistic. And there were a lot of things about him that I totally understood that my husband did not. I was able to, you know, jump into any kind of challenging situation because I knew where he was coming from in the moment. It's like, oh, I see it, I understand that, I recognize that, I get it, and then kind of navigate that with him. And so learning more about the challenges that my son was facing, I knew that that was kind of leading in the direction of autism. And so in that learning process, I learned that 9 out of 10 times, autism is genetic. And so at that point, it was obvious that it was coming from from my side because I was able to connect with him and understand him so well. And so we got a formal diagnosis for him just for his benefit as far as, you know, the school system goes and all that kind of thing. And then that's when I started to really learn more about adult autism. And I felt like I was learning about myself in a whole new way. It was like an advocate had walked in the room and was suddenly helping me understand why I operate the way I do. And it was mostly, it was mostly, it was more good news than anything. And that was really, really good season of my life. And I had already become an artist full time during that season. It was before my autism diagnosis that I had started doing art full time. So I don't know, I might want to jump ahead to what comes after that. But that was the start of my autism journey was realizing that I had it and I say have it. I am autistic 
and that's how I operate and understanding that better. Now, you are the inventor of something that I'm very interested in learning more about, and that is uh, sensory-gated art. For, for those that may not be familiar with what sensory-gated art is, what exactly is this type of art? So, it's a new genre. I didn't start painting with the plans or intentions to invent a new genre. I simply painted what came naturally to me, what I felt was the meaningful things to capture in a piece of art. And I was looking for other art that it compared to just so that I knew kind of where I stood in the art world itself with my genre and what I was doing. And that's when I realized, as I searched and searched and searched, this is a totally new genre. Nobody is producing art that's like this. Then I, I kind of tried to dig deeper, and I got connected with the neurodivergent LinkedIn community, which is huge for, I think, a lot of people. For me specifically, being able to meet so many other autistic adults has been amazing because, you know, we've all gone through all grown up and have felt you know pretty isolated for the most part i got connected with the linkedin community burnett grant wrote an article through specialistern it was called sensory gating oh interesting let me read this article and the light bulb went on after reading that article and i emailed burnett and i said burnett i do sensory gated art that's what i'm huh. doing that's what's happening. And so then I knew how to explain my art to other people. And I'm able to now further explore the uses of it and the benefits of it. Obviously, I can explain from the start why I was doing that from the start. But now I can put more words to it and explain it to others. And through sensory-gated art, you're screening out information that you're painting, which you know, is, is really interesting to me because since I've learned about the art you do, I've, I've just randomly been looking at art and painting and I've realized like a lot of artwork is kind of like overwhelming and the artwork that I tend to like definitely has some strict boundaries to it. Yeah, and I, that's, what's, that's what I love about being able to create art is why would I need to, you know, you can omit anything that's, you know, overwhelming or superfluous. I get to really spotlight the meaningful and the beautiful parts of things, you know. I get to choose, like, the lines are so meaningful. Whenever you're uh, capturing something, lines alone can trigger the mind to know what you're looking at. Just the lines. And so using clean lines and just spotlighting certain colors, I'm filtering out all of that extra information that even neurotypical minds have to sort through. Everybody has to do the sensory dating process. It's a cognitive process. For neurodivergent minds, it tends to involve a lot more conscious work to do that. Uh, some, a lot of neurotypical minds do it a lot more automatically. But either way, process is still being done for the viewer, which is why it's a relaxing piece of art, whether you're neurodivergent or neurotypical. 
And I'm wondering how this, you know, kind of this process might carry over to your life outside of painting. If in general, it's helped you to screen out sensory information when you're out and about in the community or maybe, or maybe even at home to maybe reduce uh, some of your sensory overwhelm. That's a really good point. You know, I think the only time that I consciously say, okay, I'm going to look at this visual thing and I'm going to sensory get it is only when I'm thinking about painting it. Normally, I just probably go out in the world and just kind of white knuckle it <laughs> through everything, you know, all of the, you know, when we say sensory overwhelm, we're talking about information that we're taking in through all five senses all at once. And for minds who filter that automatically, it takes a lot of bandwidth in the mind to, you know, filter out, okay, this is touching me. Do I need to pay attention to that? You know, does that matter right now? Or is the person talking to me, does that matter to me? to me more at the moment and we're doing all of this kind of conscious work yeah the only time I really sensory gate in a calm manner is when I'm painting something probably my home is filled with sensory gated art I tend to my home is a more controlled environment I like to reduce clutter I don't have a lot of stuff on the floors and then on, on top of that you know all my art throughout my house is sensory gated art so from my understanding, textures seem to be a really important part of the art that you create. Why, why is there such an emphasis on, on that for you, Amanda? Yeah, so there is a follower on my uh, Facebook page, actually, that pinpointed this really well the other day. They said, you know, doesn't, doesn't everyone have a, basically a certain capacity for overwhelm like some of my paintings have lots of lines in them and some of them have very few lines in them so the question is you know even in those varying degrees how can it all be beneficial for you know neurodivergent minds or whatever and so that is really where the texture comes in if you're looking at a piece of sensory gated art and you are starting to feel overwhelmed by the number of lines in a particular piece, because the clean lines alone, that starts the sensory gating process because you know where one color begins and one color ends. That's huge. But if you're looking at a piece and you're feeling particularly overwhelmed by the number of lines in it, the texture blocks are landing safety zones for the eye. You may find that your eye will naturally catch. You may be moving around the piece. Okay, this is interesting. This is some information. Then you catch a texture block. And there is something about the texture block that's very calming and fascinating and enriching. Those are really the only words that I could give it, especially when you're seeing the texture in person. The picture quality nowadays does you know, fairly well in capturing it. But in person as well, when, when your eye catches the texture, it stops. And you know how like when you're when we were kids and everybody was playing tag, there was like a tree that was like the <laughs> safety zone. And it was like, you know, you're in the game. It's exciting. It's fun. But you need a break. So you go to the safety zone. And that's really what the texture does in these things. And the safety zone isn't boring. The texture is fascinating. And it even invites you to just you know, explore it with your fingertips even, which I allow people to do unless a piece has been already purchased uh, by someone. Then I'll say, no, I can't let you touch someone else's art. 
but I have a lot of pieces that I do like to invite people to even explore the texture with their fingertips. And how do you kind of decide like which textures you're going to use on which piece? That's a good, good question. <laughs> I tend to use just kind of two different types of textures right now. They're both going to, they're both consistent. One's going to be with a smaller brush and it's going to be more of a finer texture. And the other texture would be a little bit broader with a bigger brush and kind of have these bigger dollops. I prefer the smaller, the fine detail, just because it kind of just makes it feel more formal and more thought out in the finer texture. When I finish the acrylic painting of the piece, that's when I will add the texture afterwards. And usually by that point, in the painting, when all the acrylic base is done, I'll look at the piece, and that's when, I guess you could say, it just, it speaks to me, or I'm just able to, I know my mind kind of sends me to, like, that's where I want to see texture, that's where I want to see texture, that's where I want to see it. And then it, it, it ends up mapping a really harmonious pattern. Now, in uh, following you on social media a little bit, it seems like you're preparing for an exhibit this coming October. Can you share a little bit about what you'll be displaying in the exhibit? Sure. So I'm developing that list as we speak. <laughs> I really would like to prepare a lot of new pieces for that exhibit. My 2020 pieces, which are still considered early sensory-gated art, because I started doing sensory-gated art, um, in 2019, that was when the first piece I produced, the first piece. I think a lot of people are familiar with the 2020 pieces, and they're not as intricate as some of my newer ones. So we already have actually a piece that's been commissioned, is going to be generously on loan by the collector to be on display at the exhibit. It's Paris at Dusk. That can be viewed in my online art gallery, which is sensorygatedart.com. Um, so that will be on display for people to see in person, which is awesome. I will have some pieces that I'm creating. They're, I think they're 16 by 20 pieces. What I'm doing is, in order to help people kind of grasp this new genre, because there's going to be a lot of people at the gallery and exhibit that obviously have never even heard of me or sensorygated art. And what I've done is I'm creating some pieces that are sensory-gated art versions of very famous paintings. And so far, I have done Monet's Water Lilies, and I have in progress a Van Gogh's Starry Night right now. And that's been really, really fun to do. I feel like I'm actually hanging out with these artists. It's really neat. Because I'm going through, you know, the process of, you know, the components they put on the canvas. And I'm thinking about, you know, if I were them in the moment and I had just put this down, I feel the same thing that they feel like, hmm, are people going to connect with this? Or, like, is, 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 there, is that the right, the right spot? I just kind of feel like I'm going through those motions with them. Oddly enough, I don't feel that insecure when I'm doing pieces that come from my own mind. It's only when I'm copying somebody else's art. I shouldn't say copying because I'm not. What I'm doing is I'm translating it into my genre. So people can, you know, see the original that they're familiar with and then see the sensory gated version and say, oh, okay, I kind of get what she's doing here, that kind of thing. Once I get a really firm list of all the pieces that'll be on the exhibit, I'll probably share them.
on my social media platform so everyone can kind of ride along. Beyond being a talented artist, you've also authored and illustrated a children's book, Why Does Mommy Say No?, which I had the pleasure to read. And I thought it was a cute, educational, and, you know, we were talking about things that are visually calming. I thought, like, the, the artwork in the book certainly was. What made you kind of decide to write this book? Oh, thank you for those kind words. Yeah, I, I love being able to do those little calming, whimsical, you know, childhood scenes. I really enjoy doing that. So I am a mom, obviously, but oddly enough, I did not write the manuscript for that book while I was a mom. I wrote that manuscript over 15 years ago when I was a nanny, and I it just, I was at a nannying job, and the little one was down for a nap, and the whole manuscript just came to me, and so I had my journal, you know, I, I wrote it down, and looking back now... I can see how, let me sidestep a little bit. As an autistic person, I noticed that it seems that for neurotypical minds, there's things that are obvious to neurotypicals that aren't obvious to neurodivergent minds. And at the same time, there are things that are obvious to neurodivergent minds that are not obvious to neurotypical minds. And I think in that moment, I felt inspired to capture the conversation that wasn't being had between, you know, little ones and the parents. You know, it's easy for the parents to say, no, they're healthy boundaries. The adults know that, you know, they know why they're saying no. It's obvious to them. It's not obvious to those little developing minds. All they see is challenges and obstacles and frustration. And so this was a very logical bridge for that gap that I just saw it very plainly and I wrote it down. And then I later illustrated it. And I think that's an important point that you kind of brought up in this book and maybe you can expand on that in, the, in that many autistics probably can relate to this that so many times as kids or as adults were told no without an explanation beyond that which... I know can be so infuriating. So maybe talk about the importance of explaining why mommy may say no, especially in relation to autistic and neurodivergent children. I think it comes back to, you know, what's obvious to one person isn't necessarily obvious to another person, whether they're neurotype, whether they're age, whether the relationship dynamic. I mean, we all have learned and realized by now that communication alone, no matter who you are, is a really challenging and sometimes dangerous sport, communication. And so this is, um, I think, a really great way to make sure that motives are being spelled out and that there's that security of explaining that this is rooted out of care, whether you know, we can use so many things that we say, oh, well, I, I did that out of care. Well, person didn't feel cared for. Okay. But just knowing that the motive was a motive of care and kind of having that pic that picture painted a little bigger, I think is, is better for our mental health and emotional health. 
and relationships just growing in a healthy direction, basically. And uh, how can people learn about you and your artwork and your children's book beyond the, this interview? There are a lot of places that you can follow my work. I do try to keep a lot of fresh visual art in everyone's feed, whether you're on Instagram, Facebook, I'm on Patreon. You can follow exclusive content on Patreon. Always looking for some exclusive members there. You can follow me on LinkedIn. And I have a great website, sensorygatedart.com. That has just been revamped again, and it's looking really, really good. So sensorygatedart.com, easy place to go. You can check out all my sensory gated art in the gallery. You can even explore it inside look to my book. And you can order Why Does Mommy Say No on Amazon. Well, Amanda, it was a pleasure to talk with you today and learn a little bit more about sensory gated art. Thanks for making the time to talk with me. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's a pleasure to get to know your work, Doug. Recording stopped. Thanks so much to Amanda for the conversation. To learn more about Amanda, please check out the link in the podcast description for this episode. It was great hearing about the fulfillment and purpose that Amanda gets from the artwork she does. As with Autism Personal Coach, we are often helping people to find the purpose in their lives. If this is something that you're interested in, then please visit autismpersonalcoach.com for more information. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Autism Stories, and if you did, if you could tell a friend, foe, or anyone you know about it so they could have the same enjoyable and educational experience as you when listening to Autism Stories, it would be very much appreciated. Until next time, I'm Doug Bletcher of Autism Personal Coach. Talk to you then.